Hello and thank you for joining us. Welcome to Zooming In on Hate, a podcast series that brings together the brightest minds to figure out solutions to hate speech and disinformation. And in our podcast, we regularly speak to various voices from tech, civil society, law enforcement and policymakers to help identify and analyse the latest social media trends. This podcast is part of the European Observatory of Online Hate, or EOOH, for short. And in today's podcast, we are speaking to Menno Etma, who is the program manager at the No Hate Speech and Anti-Discrimination Corporation Unit within the Anti-Discrimination Department of the Council of Europe. Hi, Menno. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. So my name is Lydia Elcori from Techscan. And my name is Hannah Richter. I'm from Dare to be Grey. So Menno, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you joining us on Zooming In on Hate today. Can we start with the absolute basics? Can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the Council of Europe and the work the Council of Europe does? Yes, of course. And yeah, th- thanks again for inviting me and giving space to talk a little bit about my work. Um, yeah, the Council of Europe, I mean, it's a, it's a leading intergovernmental human rights organization here in Europe. Uh, consisting of uh, 46 member states. So basically it covers all EU member states, but also countries in the Balkans, Ukraine and uh, the Caucasus, for example. Uh, I think it's important here to outline that the Council of Europe is mandated to to uh, work to promote democracy and protect human rights and the rule of law. And uh, it bases itself on the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, in light of what we're discussing, which is the recommendation on combating hate speech, I think it's good to go a bit further to say that... Um, the, the work that we do is really about standard setting, monitoring, and then we have cooperation programs. And uh, I think when it comes to standard setting, most people will know the European Convention on Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms, but there are many more treaties and conventions. And for example, when it comes to the online space, you, you might have already discussed the uh, Budapest Convention on Cybercrime or, the, for example, the Istanbul Convention on against uh, violence against women and domestic violence. And that's many one of the many hundreds of treaties that, uh, that are uh, based at the Council of Europe. Um, and in addition, the Council of Europe uh, produces recommendations, which are kind of soft law instruments uh, to guide the Council, uh, the, the member states' work. And um, yeah, one of them is the uh, recommendation combating hate speech, which I love to talk about today. Thanks so much for that introduction, Menno. So why is it that the Council of Europe is concerned about hate speech? Well, I mean, apart from the standard setting, what I just said, the Council of Europe also does a lot of monitoring work. So all the tra- all the standards and conventions and treaties are being monitored. And um, I think to start with, for example, the European Court on Human Rights, which is here based in Strasbourg, uh, has a long, uh, long history of judgments uh, on um, cases related to uh, the harmful aspe- uh, effects of hate speech. And, uh, and, and really clearly identifies how hate speech has an impact on the enjoyment of our human rights. So the, the case law that has developed over the years really tries to balance the right to, to freedom of expression, the right to uh, private life, which is Article 8, so Article 10 and Article 8, and then also uh, to ensure that there is no discrimination in enjoyment of a right, which is Article 14. So I think that is already a very important part. And for me, for example, the, the court has really outlined that... Um, that uh, on the one hand, free speech is very important. I mean, it's the cornerstone of democratic societies. But at the same time, you need to protect individuals' rights and uh, prohibit discrimination and uh, 
in short, that there's mutual respect and understanding society for, for public order. So it's really this balancing act, uh, I believe. And uh, when we look at Article 8, for example, it's really about uh, the fact for private life, but, but with which we also mean the right to, to physical and psychological well-being or integrity. And I think this is where member states uh, are requested to secure these rights. So it's really this balancing act. But there's also a lot of other monitoring bodies of the Council of Europe that have identified the, the risks that hate speech poses for human rights and democracy. And for example, the, I think one of the important ones is the uh, European Commission Against Racism and Tolerance, um, which have noted that hate speech has a very uh, negative effect on individuals and groups who are targeted, and particularly vulnerable groups are targeted. So you talk about migrants, national minorities, Roma travelers, women, LGBT, but also persons in certain jobs and functions, female politicians, for example, or journalists. And um, I think it's important to mention here that ECRI identified that uh, the challenge is here not only that they are more severely targeted by hate speech and the severity of the hate speech, but they also uh, encounter barriers in, in a, a re, uh, seeking redress to seek justice. So they don't trust the, the law institutions they don't know where to report. They don't know their rights. So there's a double barrier, and it really leads to underreporting, and that gives this gives the impression that the problem of hate speech is far larger than we actually document. So it's these kind of monitoring uh, outcomes of the Council of Europe's work that uh, that leads to uh, taking hate speech very serious. And thanks, Menno, for, for giving us that balance, because I think all too often the focus is solely on freedom of expression instead of um, giving a balance to the argument, which is, of course, people have the right to live private lives and, and to live without discrimination as well. Um, so in May of this year, 2022, um, the Council of Europe adopted a recommendation on combating hate speech during the Council of Ministers session that was held in Turin. Can you break that down for us? Tell us what it's about um, in, in your own words, please. Yeah. Um, well, what I just mentioned, so the recommendation really uh, builds on the, the relevant case law of the European Court of Human Rights and the findings of the monitoring bodies, as I just outlined. But it also takes on board other international standards of the, the UN, the EU, the OCE, etc., and in addition, I think the, what's really uh, interesting about this recommendation is that it takes on board the experiences that have been gained by civil society organizations, internet companies, the member states in combating hate speech. There's a lot of work already being done, and the recommendation tries to catch all these different elements into one document and brings to, tries to bring it together as a coherent and comprehensive approach, which is also multi-stakeholder. So everybody has a role to play. And there's many different steps that we need to take or actions that we need to take coherently uh, to address hate speech. And in that sense, I mean, the, the recommendation provides guidelines to the member states, but also other stakeholders. And I think that's very unique. Um, and then, the, yeah, the recommendation provides a definition of hate speech. Um, and it also proposes a lot of legal and non-legal measures that could be done to prevent and combat uh, hate speech and uh, which are commonly agreed by the member states. And I think that's important to mention here and outline here. Um, just to go a bit more into the measures that are mentioned, there's various, let's say, sections in the recommendation. So the first is to call for a collabor um, calibrated legal framework, which addresses both online and offline hate speech. And 
in this, this we, we encourage to differentiate hate speech on the basis of its severity and the potential harm that it can cause and the impact that it might have on members of, the, of particular groups in, in various contexts. Um, so in such a sense, legal context should really distinguish between hate speech that is prohibited under criminal law, hate speech that's prohibited under civil and administrative law, and also other offensive and harmful types of expressions which cannot be legitimately restricted on the European Convention of Human Rights, however, still call for uh, alternative responses of other measures because it needs to be addressed. And then it goes on with, okay, there's this need for legislation on online hate speech. Um, the recommendation encourages self and co-regulatory procedures for addressing hate speech, uh, in particular in the online space. Um, there's a call for investing in awareness raising measures, education, training, using of counter speech. There's also a chapter on providing support to those who are targeted, both victims, so for example, those who are targeted by hate speech that's under criminal uh, law, but more broadly, those who are targeted need support. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter on monitoring and analyzing of hate speech, which is very important to get grips of what the situation is. And then, of course, there's a need for national coordination, international cooperation. So all these elements are combined in this one recommendation, which I think uh, shows the comprehensiveness of the of the of the exercise. It all sounds very complex and and detailed, Manu. I think that's that's really great to hear. But what are the implications of these recommendations being adopted? Do you think there are any? Well, I would hope so. I mean, as you say, it's um, I think it's not a small achievement that it's uh, been all put together in one document. Um, and I think first and foremost we need to acknowledge that this is a recommendation, a, a soft law text that has been agreed on by all the member states. So that's already a major achievement and gives actually a platform an opening to continue working um, uh, together on this issue. Um, it's also important to mention that there's a definition in the, in the recommendation, which is commonly agreed. Um, it's uh, by an international human rights uh, standard setting organization. And uh, it's comprehensive, and uh, it's probably the most up-to-date that we have at the moment. Um, but I think what I really like is that it's a very practical document. So it has all these chapters, which makes it long and detailed. But um, the expert committee that drafted it, the recommendation, also wrote an explanatory memorandum, which is in a separate document, which really outlines relevant case law, international standards, but also very includes very practically documented practices that have worked or are promising that member states could or other actors could uh, could take part, uh, could implement. So in that sense, it also tries to be very concrete. And specifically, if you read the explanatory memorandum and all the various links that are provided for more information and more background, I think it really is a guide uh, to your work. Um, and the last thing I think is that um, for me, the fact that it's not only for the member states, so the so the national authorities but also for other stakeholders, equality bodies, national human rights institutions, the internet companies, the civil society partners, the media, um, all these are addressed. Uh, and I think that really uh, is good. It brings everyone together around a, co a common understanding. And they, all these partners were also consulted in the process. So they, they contributed to the, to the drafting process, which is good. But yeah, as you say, it's... Um, it's a, it's a major achievement, but the work has only started. So uh, maybe it's good to mention here that the Council of Europe is, uh, has, asked, uh, uh, has been asked to, to prepare a, a report on promising practices for 2024. 
and in 2025 we'll have an overall review on the implementation of the recommendation so then we can actually see what's the effect of such a recommendation and possibly identify more actions that should be done or other actions that should be taken so we're we're tracking we're keeping an eye on on what impact it might have this recommendation and I, I just wanted to pick up on what you you said that it, it has a definition of hate speech included in it which is something our community has been really eagerly awaiting so hopefully it might be the basis for other governments and intergovernmental organizations to adopt pick up the the definition that the council of europe have agreed on it, it would be good news all around because i think it's a starting point we need to reach yeah i, I would fully agree especially with talking about hate speech in the online space i mean it's it's very cross-border and uh, it's not only about definition, understanding what we're talking about and, and legal framework, but it's also when we're talking about victim support or data gathering, we need to have a more coherent approach to these kind of things so that we actually know what we're talking about and what we can do to support those who are targeted and also work more on prevention effectively. So it's good to have a common agreement across Europe uh, on these, um, uh, to, to have more coordination at national level. Yeah. Absolutely. Um and on the back of that, can I ask you a really, really simple question? Will will the document, you know, if it if it's kind of if it fulfills um all the hopes that we have for it, will it make the future online look that bit brighter? I hope so. I think it's very much on what we do now with the document. So I think the recommendation is a clear invitation for all of us to 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 step up. Uh, to become active and uh, I think as I said earlier it's really comprehensive it's member states and other stakeholders so I think it really brings everyone around the table and I I really like that it acknowledges that the hate speech that that it acknowledges that hate speech is a much more deep-rooted problem so we can't just legislate the problem away it's not only about laws although this is very important and we need the red line to say this this is uh, unacceptable hate speech but there's so many more actions to be done and this document really this recommendation really recognizes this and invites us to do so so I'm, I really hope uh, that it motivates everyone to uh, to take that extra step um, and it really acknowledges the problem I think I think that's such an important point because just just by legislating about these things it might not make a difference to actually within society and hate speech that is already in society we need to work out that problem as well so it really sounds like you've thought of everything now which is great um so moving on a little bit um could you please tell us about the activities of the anti-discrimination department within the council of europe specifically um yeah so maybe more about the anti-discrimination part department in general that's that's what we do is we try to focus on combating discrimination uh, including discrimination on grounds of sexual orientation gender identity hate speech hate crimes etc and at the same time we're also trying to foster more integration protecting national minorities and minority languages so that is our overall mandate um, maybe some of the things when it comes to hate speech to to point out is that we do really particular act actions there i think um one of the projects that we've been working on uh, lately is, for example, on uh, how to respond to hate speech. Uh, we had the Weekend for Human Rights Project, for example. Uh, uh, human, sorry, Weekend for Human Rights Speech Project, to be precise. 
And um, this is a concrete example where I was working with a lot of NGOs and we realized that lots of people, when they encounter hate speech, they're struggling. How do I respond? Um, should I respond? And in what way? And, and what should my story be? Um, and um, they were wondering, I mean, should I ignore it? Should I report it? It's extra pushback. And so I worked with uh, four different NGOs across Europe. Um, good to shout them out. Active Watch from Romania, Neue Deutsche Mediamacher from Germany, CDJ from uh, European Wide Network, and uh, Apicia from Italy. And they're all very active in combating hate speech. And with them, we, we did this project. It was co-funded by the EU and the Council of Europe. And we basically developed a tool, toolbox with uh, three different tools. And um, I, I think it's really a very useful tool because it really links well with the recommendation as well. So the first tool, if you allow me, the first tool is the hate speech calculator, which um, it really gives uh, through, it's a questionnaire basically that you run through and it, and it challenges you to reflect on the, the, the principles of assessing the severity of hate speech. So the tone, the content of the message, the context that it's used, etc. So based on the Rabat Action Plan of the UN and also the European case, case law, it really helps you assess. So it's really an educational tool, but also a way of quickly assessing how vile is the hate speech? Should I ignore it? Should I uh, report it? Or should I counter it, for example, with alternative narratives? Um, that's the first step. But then we have the Human Rights, building, uh, real, human rights Narratives Builder tool and that was quite a challenge um, we come across hate speech all the time and then but then what and uh, you can't just use hate speech to respond you need to come up with your own story so this tool is a step-by-step -step approach with various activities so the first step is to to go back to your emotions that sounds a bit weird but often when you come across hate speech you have an instant emotion anger fear sadness and that's triggered by something. And this something is a violation of a principle or a value that is dear to you. Can you, and the question is, can you write this out? Can you identify this value? Because it's often based on this value that we actually can communicate with each other, that we can connect. So that's the first step to actually identify the emotions. Then the second step is to, to analyze what's the hate message actually, and, and to reflect on what you think about it. And then there's this exercise of free writing, just come up with your own story. How would you respond? What do you think? And once you have that story, your story, then to really, the fourth step is to bring it down to this one paragraph, this main message. And then the fifth step is to really come to the key messages and to think about who needs to know and how can I reach them and how would they understand it. So this last translation action. So it's really a, a dialogical process of finding your own narrative, your own human rights uh, narrative. And of course, there's lots of checklists to make sure you don't accidentally discriminate to a group that you didn't want to discriminate, etc. So there's lots of checks and balances in this. And then there's another tool which is on uh, communication strategies and, and it has a lot of tips and tricks on how to use online uh, platforms to um, tools to actually distribute your message beyond your own bubble. So this is one of the tools I think has been really um, a process of developing and it's now being rolled out and I think it's very useful to actually strengthen uh, human rights narratives uh, across and to occupy the space, the online space with a human rights inclusive message, I think. I, I couldn't agree more. And because the danger is if we just leave the most aggressive and, and, and the toxic narratives out there without countering them or responding to them, 
it, it'll look like it's the majority while the silent majority are sitting back. So tooling people up to come to terms with responding and countering hate is, is so valuable. And I know your resources that they're really excellent and so, so helpful. We must, uh, we'll mention the website at the end. Now, I, I want to talk about other elements of hate speech your department um, is working on. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work and, and where we can do our own bit of research on the work the Council of Europe is doing? Yeah, so the Council of Europe is, um, and it's not only our department, I mean, there's other sectors in the Council of Europe that are working specifically on, on, on hate speech and, um, and safety on the internet. And, um, but I think the work that we are doing is really about um, supporting national partners in reviewing national approaches, implementing improvements, legislation review, capacity building for key stakeholders, etc. So maybe a few examples very concretely is, for example, in, uh, in a few countries, we did what we call a systemic analysis of the national approach to combating hate speech, which basically means we brought lots of different key actors, law enforcement, judiciary, the NGOs, victim groups together in one room and we actually analyzed okay there's an instant of hate speech how does that person go through the system and where are the gaps in the bottlenecks and at the end will that person find a solution whatever that solution might need to be it depends on the type of hate speech so to really analyze the system and see how it works in a national level and they identified that laws might not be accurate or certain services are not there in place or people don't talk to each other so it could lead to all kinds of insights on how to streamline the cooperation and improve the, the redress, let's say. Um, we've also been working with some member states on desegregated data gathering on hate crime, and we're now challenging them to go further than to also include hate speech. And this desegregated data is really important. You need to know who's targeted, their gender, where they're located and things like that to get a better picture to help identify how can we respond, how can we respond with support services but also maybe legislation or specific policing actions etc so it's very important data gathering um, of course as i mentioned we're working with several member states on legal legal amendments and policies and things like that and i think there's a lot of work being done on training and uh, it's training of the law enforcement to judiciary to identify hate speech the grounds etc to do the analysis uh, same as hate crime of course um, and, and also to do awareness raising. You need to be able to reach out to the community to, to encourage them to report or to encourage them to seek support when needed. Not everything is about uh, needs to be necessarily prosecuted. It can also be about standing up for the rights of those who are targeted. So you need uh, political figures to speak up. And we're working on these kind of actions on awareness raising. So there's a few training modules. And in that sense, for example, in the Western Balkans, we have now a regional campaign, which is uh, very interesting because we bring countries that have a difficult relationships with other, each other sometimes together to talk about hate speech and to actually campaign for uh, stop the hate, spread the love, which is the slogan, it's the campaign. And we're working with uh, local ambassadors, let's say sports persons, uh, community leaders uh, and others to to speak up for this, this message of um, uh, promoting human rights and inclusion and participation of all. And, and this is awareness raising, which is a key part also of, of mobilizing people to take action on hate speech. Thank you, Manu. That's so many things that you're doing there. And I'm sure, well, I hope that our listeners will be really keen to, to get involved in some of them as well. Um, so something that we, we can't go without 
asking you about because it has been such a focus and such a topic in, in the recent months is the um, the upcoming implementation of the Digital Services Act. What role, if any, is the Council of Europe playing in this? Yeah. No, I think it's true that the adoption of the Digital Services Act is a, a major development in, in, in Europe and how, um, um, how regulation of online content and services will uh, shape uh, in the uh, European European Union member states. Um, I think there's a few points here to make. One is that the, the Council of Europe's recommendation on combating hate speech, there are also guidelines provided for the legislation covering online hate speech, for example, the need for clear legal frameworks for, for defining hate speech, uh, publishing transport transparency reports, both by the authorities and the internet companies, uh, but also to regularly review the human rights impact of content moderation practices um, and to secure more coordination on, uh, on on combating hate speech between the internet companies and the states and other partners. So there's a lot of um, of lots of points in the DSS that's also uh, um, acknowledged in the recommendation on combating hate speech of the Council of Europe. Um, and it's important maybe probably to mention that the Council of Europe and the EU are in a constant dialogue on uh, human rights considerations and how that impacts on society. So. For example, the Council of Europe has contributed uh, with its uh, knowledge from the case law of the European Court and also other international treaties and standards towards the drafting process of the DSA. And the, and the EU, for example, has been part as an observer in the drafting of the Council of Europe recommendation combating hate speech. So that dialogue is ongoing and I'm confident that will be uh, also for the future. So I, I look forward to work with EU colleagues on seeing how the implementation of that uh, the DSA will, will work out in practice and to, to stay in dialogue on the possible human rights implications that it might have. Thanks, Menno. Um, we can't speak about the work of the Council of Europe without talking about the focus on youth and, and the stellar work you do. Can you, can you tell us more broadly why the Council of Europe focuses on youth yeah so for us i mean the the, the council of europe recognizes the, the considerable potential and therefore fundamental role in promoting council of europe uh, values that the, that the youth play today and i think if you think about it it's it's very clear that youth are on the forefront of many of the developments when it comes to the internet space or the digital space um, and and are directly affected by the consequences of these kind of services um, in their daily life. And um, I think for the Council of Europe, the working with youth has always been central in the sense that for uh, youth participation and acknowledging their role. Uh, so for example, the Council of Europe has this unique co-decision-making body called the Joint Council on Youth and it brings the ministries uh, responsible for youth affairs and 30 representatives, uh, youth councils and European youth NGOs together. And they they work a lot together on, on developments of human rights principles and democratic values that affect youth. And for example, it's the youth that, for example, brought forward the issue of hate speech in the online space already in 2012. They were the ones that started the No Hate Speech Movement uh, youth campaign. The youth representatives in the Council of Europe suggested this campaign and this then rolled out and really put hate speech on the political agenda and mobilized not only young people across 45 uh, states across Europe, and beyond even, also in Morocco and Mexico and Canada, but also brought uh, other stakeholders together, uh, equality bodies, uh, internet companies and things like that. So the youth were really the engine 
about uh, for the work on combating hate speech. And actually, the No Hate Speech Movement is kind of the seed where that was planted for this recommendation that we adopted this year. So it's been a very, very important. And I think the the youth have also brought forward many very interesting educational materials, for example. So bookmarks, which was developed particularly for the for the campaign No Hate Speech Movement, uh, is a very simple manual which provides educators with simple tools and activities to, to raise awareness about hate speech, but also to raise awareness about human rights online and how to stand for and mobilize for human rights online. And I think these are very practical, uh, tangible results of, of the youth engagement in um, the work that the Council of Europe does. It's really great to, to see how involved you are with youth. And um, I, I, again, hope that um, our listeners can get involved in, in the same way as well. Um, so thank you so much for all of your answering all of our questions. And we just have one final question for you. We ask all of our listeners. Sorry, did you want to add one more thing? Yeah, no, I just wanted to add one thing because you're saying I hope our listeners can join in. I think one of the new develop one of the new campaigns that came from the youth sector is the uh, uh, democracy here, democracy now campaign, and it, I think it's a very good initiative because a very good campaign that again tries to mobilize everyone across Europe at national through national campaigns um, because it brings together the understanding of uh, the problems of disinformation youth disengagement with the political processes, distrust in the political systems. And we really need to remobilize to have proper youth participation, uh, human rights of young people acknowledged and worked on, and to, to mobilize young people for democratic values and democratic uh, uh, institutions. And I think this is one of the campaigns that young people can join very easily. Uh, it's very practical. And, uh, and it also really has a link to hate speech because hate speech undermines the democratic space and the possibility for, for especially minorities to, to speak up and take part in the political debate. So for me, there's a very clear link between promoting democracy, addressing hate speech, addressing disinformation. And this campaign, the new campaign that was launched uh, uh, this year, is a, a concrete way of getting engaged. That's great to hear. Thank you, Mano. Um, we will pop all of the, the links to um, all of these campaigns and everything that you have mentioned um, um, down below our, um, the podcast. Um, so for my final question to you, if you had a magic wand, what would you do to fix the online situation surrounding hate speech? Yes. Well, this I take personal. I uh, My personal advice my personal wish would be to do uh, more human rights education and education for media literacy and uh, learning how to deal with diversity, dealing with differences, with conflicting opinions, and how can you to get that competence and that trust in yourself that you can deal with it and, uh, and that, that it actually enriches you. Um, plus, I would also suggest a little bit less internet time and a bit more meeting each other face-to-face. -face. And so I'm really hoping that the COVID pandemic will continue to ease and allow us to have spaces to meet face to face because of that dialogue, that meeting, and I think is really important. And um, yeah, overall, I hope that people are really motivated and enabled to play their role and play their part in, in making internet a safer place and a useful tool for everyone to, to cherish and to develop themselves. That, that, that's my wish and that's what I would use the wand for. We, we'll definitely let you keep the wand for that one, Menno. I think, I think nobody can argue with what you've asked for 
Um, so thanks a million for joining us uh, on Zooming In on Hate and for all your, your great advice and work you're doing at the Council of Europe. My pleasure. So thank you for joining us for this special episode of Zooming In on Hate, uh, where we've been focusing on the Council of Europe recommendation on combating hate speech. Thanks to Menno Etema, who's the programme manager at the No Hate Speech and Anti-Discrimination Cooperation Unit um, in the Anti-Discrimination Department of the Council of Europe. Make sure to subscribe to our mailing list at www.eooh.eu to be updated on our um, next episode and join us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue the conversation. And last but not least, a, a big thanks to our funder, the European Commission's Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme by DG Justice. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, Menno.